I wouldn't call it networking because like I said, when when you call it networking, it feels like something that is forced or something that is fake or something that you have to do just to get business. Who's there? D&D, of course, with Excuria International. D&D as in do not disturb? Oh, no, this is discourse and disclosure with ECI. Oh, you mean the one that's hosted by Ananya and Romit? Bingo! D&D, presented by ECI with Romit and Ananya. Today, of course, we want to talk to you about how we met. What was the meet-cute story that brought us all together with this podcast? Of course, since this has to do with ADR, we met at a competition. We met in Singapore for the signing of the Singapore Mediation Convention, yet none of us knew we existed at that point. Many faces in a crowd, so many people to meet and sights to see, and we didn't come across one another till three months later in Dubai, when we were helping organize a different tournament with ADR ODR International, and that's where we clicked. So today, what we'd really like to talk to you about is the importance of networking. How do you put yourself out there? How do you make yourself visible? I know that you love hearing our voices, but besides that, what does it take to meet people and build connections? Eye contact, a winning smile, how you present yourself, all of these questions and more is something we are going to take a deep dive into with our special guest for the day, who Ananya shall now introduce. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce this lady much because how we met, how Miss Anna Sambold and I met is a story in itself. And to really dive into this one, Anna and I met for the first time in Dubai while I was at the organizing committee for a competition and she was judging the actual competition. I would say it was networking, but more than that, it was Anna's extremely bubbly nature, which really got us connected. Then she agreed. And mind you, Anna is a California-based attorney, mediator, and arbitrator. And I am in India. Ramit is in India. And Anna and I met in Dubai. And she agreed to coach my team for ICC Paris, which happened in Paris, France. So that's four different parts of the countries. We're meeting in Dubai. She is from California. I'm from India. And we all agreed to meet again in Paris, where she coached our team. And mind you, we got some brilliant mediation tips from her. And we actually ended up winning a special prize at the ICC Paris. I'm going to dive right in into who Anna is so you can get to know her more. She has over a decade of experience as a conflict resolution specialist. She's a founder and principal of Sambal Law and ADR Services. She has served as a neutral in over thousands, thousands of cases across a broad spectrum of civil litigation matters involving commercial, insurance, property, and multilingual clients. She conducts mediations in person, online, and in three languages, English, Spanish, and Spanglish. She's an internationally IMI certified mediator and an international arbitral woman. She's on the neutral panels of American Arbitration Association, which is the AAA, ADR services, and several U.S. courts, federal and state agencies. An unstoppable advocate for ADR and a devoted leader in the legal and ADR field, she currently serves as the ABA Dispute Resolution Section Educational Programming Officer. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us today on the podcast, Ms. Sambold. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing. I know it's extremely late there and now in India it's morning and in in San Diego is it night there? It's almost 10 p.m. Oh, that's so interesting. I think that shows the power of networking that Anna is so sweet to do this for us despite being so late in one country and so early in the other. And I'm going to dive right in. You have over 800 hours of training. That is an impressive number. Tell me, does everybody need this and what is the reason behind this? Well, I believe that the more you learned, the better mediator and ADR professional and the better person in general you can be. So, I never stop learning. I always believe that taking any programs, learning from um different speakers, different mediators, different ADR professionals, different perspectives always enrich your life and your practice so i never stop learning i love any opportunity to continue learning and i always give back to people too and when i when i learn something i like to mentor and i like to teach and i like to explain the concepts that i learn and give back to what i have what i have done and what i have learned in life Well, no doubt there. You definitely do help around a lot of people. On that note, Anna, I think the new Singapore Mediation Convention that's been signed has done a lot in terms of making mediation a new option, granting it more legitimacy in the eyes of the people. Now, over the three years of discourse and debate that was involved in its creation, can you tell me if the Mediation Convention, that's less than a year old at this point, addresses ODR or online dispute resolution in any significant fashion and of course has the united states signed the convention yet and what are your perspectives on the same well i truly believe that the singapore convention is one of the greatest developments in the history of mediation and it will bring many benefits for international trade for stakeholders for users for legal and and for dispute resolution professionals but the singapore convention is basically on uh, the the scope of the convention is, is strictly uh, is very narrow it only applies to international commercial mediations so the 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 scope is very limited and it doesn't make any reference to online mediation so far the united states have signed it but they haven't ratified but the good news is that we have 42 countries signed on the first day on the opening when it was open for signature on August in the last year in 2020 in 2019 in Singapore and now I believe now we have 52 countries that have signed it already four or five have ratified it. so the convention will September 2020 okay now moving on to our next question Anna we have we took a deep dive in on your on the kind of work that you do and we understood that there is something called blind mediators proposals which help solve cases we find this extremely fascinating what is this uh well sometimes when i have worked with the parties during a mediation and after many hours we realize that we uh, that the parties are stuck and I sometimes and if the parties ask me and if they agree I submit a mediator's proposal and I propose a number 
that I believe is some is a number that both parties will agree. So it's no what I believe the case value is, but is is a number that I believe both parties will agree according to our negotiations and according to what, to what I learned during the mediation. So that's what I make sometimes a blind mediator's proposal. They don't know what I'm going to propose. And I submit it to each side. And they are free to accept it or reject or reject the offer. And if both parties say yes, they both get, they, they get an agreement. If one of them say no, well, that was it. So usually you were told that proposals have to always be backed by reasoning so that it makes it more attractive to the parties. Does a blind mediator's proposal also have reasoning inside them? As in, do you explain the reasoning to the different parties or is it just a number which you think will work for both the parties considering you have the confidential information, you've done the private caucuses and you know what the parties want? Yeah, this is only about the numbers. This is when the negotiation gets stuck is in between two numbers and the range is still, well, reasonable like if i have a if i have a party that is asking for two million dollars and another one is just asking is is offering a thousand bucks well that is no there's no point to uh, offer a mediator's proposal because the range the gap is too big but if they're close i i can propose a number that it will work for the two sides and if they both agree to it they will reach an agreement so it's a great tool for a mediator, and it's pretty common here, at least in the States, uh, that mediators use mediator's proposal. Okay, so this is fascinating, and this is the first that I personally have heard of a blind mediator's proposal. But I'm very sure, in order to even make an offer like this, there's a lot of trust and rapport that you have to develop and build with the parties in the session. Do you have any good tips or ice-breaking techniques for us to facilitate and create that atmosphere of trust, openness between the parties and the mediator? Well, I believe that you can establish rapport, on, especially in the beginning. For me, everything is about being prepared. And a lot of I, I do a lot of work before the mediation. I'm, it's my regular practice to conduct a pre-mediation phone call. Uh, now I do it by Zoom when I do an online mediation by Zoom. And um, 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 in that way, the parties, uh, I can talk to each side uh, individually and find out more about the case, about the client, about the dynamics of, um, of the case. And, and I can find out uh, in, about everything in general. And at, um, at that point, I learned a lot about the personalities involved, about what is really driving the dispute. Um, and, and that way, that helps me to understand not only the case, but what is really, really going on in the case. So by the time that I have the mediation session, I, I know how to proceed or how to help the parties. And, and because it, every case requires a different approach. And so I just have to learn. And, and for me, the key and the crucial point about being successful of, um, and effectively help parties in mediation 
is to really understand the case and really know what's going on and who is driving the dispute. Once you are very prepared about your case, believe me, I spend sometimes more hours preparing for a mediation than in the mediation itself. Because if I'm prepared, if I know the case inside out, if I know the personalities involved, I know more about them and about the dynamics, I'm going to be able to help them. And I'm going to be able to uh, provide a better evaluation about the case. Sometimes what the parties need is another perspective. And they and sometimes they are so into their dispute that they don't see the big picture. So and from listening to one side and listening to the other side, I help, I help them to see each other's point of view. And, and that really helps, really. And so I think the pre-mediation preparation and, and, and talking to each side before the mediation, before getting everyone together, that is super important. So coming to that, I was really wondering, it's very helpful when you're creating a raffle or a relationship with the parties to often share something personal, a personal incident, a short funny story, it often helps to humanize the discussion that's taking place. But when deciding how to go about this, where do you draw the line between the personal and professional? And what do you decide to bring up? What do you not do? For example, I've come across the fact that you would really love corgis. I mean, do you have them <laughs> as a pet? Is that something you would introduce in a round? What are the kind of information that we should or should not disclose when trying to build and create these relationships? Well, first of all, I don't have my corgi with me during the mediations. Otherwise, I'm afraid it's going to start barking or getting out of control. So I'm, I always, in my office, in my home office, now with the quarantine, what I really believe is that you have to be genuine. And you have to talk to people in... And, and about what you need, what you really are noticing at the moment when you are talking to them. So you just have to be alert and and really pay attention to what what they're saying and trying to find out what are they feeling and what is really driving the dispute and what is really going on and trying to and I think so asking the right question and listening and responding appropriately to what they're what what they're saying that is that is the key to make a personal connection to people and establish rapport and feel empathy but it has to be very genuine because you can tell right away when somebody is just trying to be fake so i would say that i just start talking to parties sometimes like uh if i were talking to a friend of mine that and if she's telling me her problem that she's having with her landlord or with the contract that with a contract that she just uh, or with her employer. So and I will try to advise her and telling her, well, this is what I see that really is happening. And I try to give her some advice. And, and to me, I guess that's a way that you really connect with people. That's really interesting to hear. Just listen and connect with people and in real time, mind you, don't. It's amazing to see that you bring two different perspectives to the table. You said that you need to be very prepared with the case. You need to be you need to know the case in and out. And at the same time, you need to be present in the moment. You need to be flexible 
to listen to the parties, to actually understand what is it that they're going through, despite what you've learned about them before. So tell me, how do you differentiate these perceptions that you may have created um, early on, and then you actually face in real time? Or are they mostly the same? No, I, um, I would say that is just the same. And um, when I talk to them before the mediation, I believe sometimes I know I start learning more about them. And uh, so by the time that I read the mediation brief, because that's another thing that I, I consider before the mediation is my the mediation brief that are submitted by the parties. Um, when I read them, when I study the subject matter, when I really understand everything that is happening, and when I find out from each side um, about the about their clients, about the dynamics of the case, I by the time that I I I have the mediation, I have a really good understanding of what's happening, and so uh, at that point, I really feel like connected with them, and sometimes it just gets deeper during the mediation because my my mediations take like at least six, seven, nine hours sometimes, and in person, online, or over the phone with them for hours and hours talking to them. At some point, I feel like at the end of the day, I feel like I know them, like I know them forever because I know everything about them. And at some point, I know they, what they do, how many kids they have, what is their job, and <laughs> because everything starts coming up during the mediation. And that's part of knowing them and, and, and helping them to, with their case. And all of this, has led you to open up a solo law firm. That is commendable. I would say amazing in a masculine field, one imagines. What are your thoughts on this? Is ADR dominated by men or do you see enough women representation in ADR? Well, I would say that nowadays is a little bit more, I, we have female mediators and arbitrators, um, but I can see that that is still the the profession, especially lawyers and um, mediators and arbitrators are mainly male. But I would say that nowadays it's getting better and better. And we're getting, at least here in California, I don't know, and I'm pretty sure that it depends of the country, depends of every culture. But in California, I think there's, they're doing so much better than many, many years ago. Because and and that's kind of the the normal progress of in every society, right? Before before women didn't have the right to vote, or before they didn't they couldn't go to law school, and and with time, women started getting more rights and started getting out there more. So I guess in, at least in California, I will say that is is pretty representative, female and male arbitrators. Uh, thank you, Anna. In in fact, I was wondering. I see that you're a part of Arbitral Women. So could you tell us a little more about the role that organizations like these have in helping uh, diversity and representation in the field itself? Yeah, I love Arbitral Women because it's all about promoting female arbitrators around the, around the globe. And so the, I'm a member of the organization and a and I love the, the 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 goal of the organization, and so I really participate and and I try to be very active 
with their newsletter and trying to provide reports and be very active with them. Anna, you've always taught me that networking is very important. You've taught me some amazing and brilliant tips to network and how one can implement them. Tell me, how is it that networking skills help one stand out in this crowded and competitive field? Any fail-safe tips that have always worked for you? Well, first of all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it networking because like I said, when, when you call it networking, it feels like something that is forced or something that is fake or something that you have to do just to get business. And you come with the, I don't know, with a no very genuine attitude toward the whole thing. So the way I see it is, it's like, the, it's exactly the same way that I see my mediations at my parties. I see them as a friend and a people's person. I love to talk to people. I love to interact. Um, and I love to uh, just spend time with friends. And that's, that's what I do everywhere that I go. I try to talk to people, trying to find out more about their lives and about what they do. And, and at the end of the day, that ended up helping me because it's, I have established really good uh, uh, connections and friendship. But what I would recommend to young professionals like you guys is don't think about it like networking because networking just bring to you that state of mind that, oh, I had to be all forced and, and all fake and, and I had to provide my business card and, and, I, and I had to get their business from um, in some way. And that doesn't let you relax and be you. Uh, so what I would recommend is just be yourself, be genuine. If you want to go somewhere, just talk to the people. Uh, I thought that you were impressive when I saw you talking to people but I introduced you to everybody and you were really impressive in that sense you talk to people you ask questions you you're interested about their lives and and you want to know more about them you listen and I thought it was that was the way to establish relationships and and you see at the end they they in some way you can end up working with them in the future or helping you in some way Absolutely. I, I agree and I resonate with what you've said. I, I love networking because I'm, I've never looked at it as um, something which I'm forced to do. But in general, I love talking to people and just finding out about different cultures, different backgrounds, different professions from the people itself. I mean, I feel like I can read um, thousands of blogs and articles about different things. But until I get a real life perception or if somebody give me an experience that they've had, I don't feel like I can learn enough. I believe in that practical approach, but I have to say, Anna, you have influenced my networking skills many fold. I think you've really given that confidence and I think you do that to everybody around you. I feel like- Oh, that's so sweet. You stand <laughs> in a crowd, you. you make everyone feel involved. And this is something that I really wanna ask you, how do you do it? How does one say, because, one may have a dynamic personality. One may be extremely overted, outwarded. They're not an introvert. They're not shy. But there are so many who are shy, who maybe not, don't have the confidence to go up and speak to people. What do you suggest for such people? Well, I, I believe that when, once you find your passion in life, you're going to start talking. So what I would recommend to people that is shy and introvert is, is just 
define what exactly really what you really feel passionate about and follow that passion and just dive deep into it to me it was a mediation and conflict resolution and so I just went deep into it and I just pursue it and and I went ahead and everything related to mediation and conflict resolution, you name it, I was there. And I, there were another mediators and other idea professionals. I was there talking to them. And, and that was my reason for, and, and, and that's why I don't like to call it networking. I like to call it just, just following your passion. I think these are the words of somebody who really, really enjoys their job. And of course, has never missed taking their shots. So it's very important to keep putting yourself out there. And when you think of putting yourself out there, how do you do it? Is there an importance to dressing for success? And how much do first impressions that you make matter? Can you tell us more about cultivating and maintaining a professional appearance, please? Um, well, that is pretty funny that I didn't realize that I, I, I really care and I really love to provide advice about professional appearance until I was coaching uh, yeah, uh, for the ICC. And I realized, yeah, uh, maybe what is normal and what is obvious to some people is not so obvious for somebody else. So I was just telling Ania that in order to look very professional, you had to be careful about the colors that you choose. And so in the legal profession, especially, it's very conservative. So we always wear black or with dark colors and uh, we try to avoid big prints or so, oh, big lipstick, red lipstick and big earrings. So, and you had to be very toned and very professional. And, and that influence, I believe, because the way that you look and the way you look, that makes the whole impression. And, and because just think about it, if you're hiring a lawyer, you're hiring a mediator, and you don't like the way that they look, you're not going to hire them. You don't going to trust them, right? So you're going to feel like, oh, wow, this lawyer, this mediator looks very professional. Look how he's well-dressed and is very appropriate, his outfit. So you will believe him. And so I definitely think that the way that you look and the way your appearance and your professional, uh, you wear a very professional outfit, and that will influence in your business life and your practice. That's interesting to hear in a physical setting. I, I now want to draw a comparison to online dispute resolution. You do a lot of ODR since even before the pandemic started. Any tips that you can suggest for working online and getting work done, especially for interviews or even for training contracts? It's not just mediations, but I feel like the whole world has now come online. Is the no pants rule to be frowned upon? Well, yeah, I have done a lot of webinars and presentations about online mediation best practices and recommendations. And I have, oh my God, I have a, a stack of recommendations. So what I would say, first of all, be careful about your background, okay? Because this is what everybody's going to see. 
So you have a very cluttered and very messy background that influence in the way that people is going to see you. So I always recommend if you don't have a space in your in, uh, at home where you can have a nice professional looking background, just get a virtual background and Zoom, they have so many backgrounds now and you can choose one very professional looking and just have the green screen behind you and voila, you look perfect and, and it's very professional. Second, I would say, obviously, at least wear a shirt. <laughs> uh, here in Florida, I remember in the news was a lawyer um, that he showed up for an online hearing in front of a judge in a, a wearing, not wearing a shirt. So that was on the news. So obviously, you had to look professional. So wear a shirt and hopefully wear some pants just in case. That's an, um, another uh, this, they, they, there's so many jokes around that people know wearing only wearing pajama bottoms and only the top part only professional. Well, what about if you have an accident or the coffee spills on you on you or something you had to stand up and everybody's gonna realize that you're wearing underpants only. So just wear something, just wear something, uh, some pants and, and a nice professional top. Um, be sure that the lighting. A lot of people, they don't realize, but when you have a window behind yourself, like I see you guys have a window on the side. Well, that light, you had to just get the lighting right because that influence in the way that people can see you. So you have the window be right behind you. Uh, the people won't, won't be able to see you because the camera is getting all the light straight. So, um, and I wish to have some light to show you the difference, but on, on, there we go, you see, <laughs> there we go, and the angle where I hate to see, I have so many meetings and mediations where the party is just, is, is just have this type, this angle, and they're looking at the nostrils, the nose, uh, <laughs> or they're looking at the, or they have a fan on the ceiling, and you can see the ceiling, uh, and looks like a crown on top of somebody's head. So, and, and the funny thing is I have um, always my laptop on a stack of books. Um, and I, let, if I can show you, but on, um, and because in that way, the camera is at my eye level. It's not too low, not too high. Um, I, I got a special light and I get the headphones. That is always the key to avoid any noise from uh, background noise. That always improves your quality of the audio because I'm telling you, when the people can hear you and when the people can see you, that is going to influence in your mediation and the way that everybody sees you. Um, if somebody's having a bad audio um, and everybody's, uh, everybody's going to start to get frustrated with this person because, come on, come fix it. We can hear you. We can hear you. And eventually, that is going to work against his case because no, everybody's getting frustrated with the with with his audio or with, with the connectivity problems or something. So be sure that you have a good, strong internet connection. Be sure that uh, I got, uh, the, the other day I got somebody that was at Starbucks. And I said, you can be in a Starbucks. That is a public internet connection. So you, somebody just can get in. And you have to have a good um, private and a strong connection, internet connection. You have to be in a private place when nobody can hear your conversation. So all those are the type of tips that I always provide to people 
but like I said, um, everything is about being prepared. If you don't prepare, just be prepared to fail. All those um, you can take, um, you can be ready and prepared before the mediation, especially for an online mediation. Right. Thank you for that. Now, just because you spoke to us right now about the importance of, say, being in a private space on your own secured Wi-Fi network and so on and so forth before you begin a mediation. I'd like to ask you this. All mediations are party led. So the mediator can really just take the horse to the water. You can't make the horse drink. So keeping this in mind, why is professional indemnity insurance something that is essential for most mediators to have in the first place? Oh, well, when you, for example, here in San Diego, um, I'm, I'm on the panel of mediators for the San Diego Superior Court. And the panel, the court panel requires any mediator to have an insurance in case that one of the parties um, just file a lawsuit against you. So uh, uh, you never know, right? When the parties or when um, somebody can sue you. So that's why you need to have an insurance uh, just to be sure that uh, the insurance will provide uh, cover for the lawsuit defense. Okay, so now just a few more questions. Now we've looked at what the requirements are for mediating and being on these panels and memberships. So considering these stringent requirements of entry, you don't really need to be a practitioner of the law to become an ADR professional. Neither do you need many, many fancy certifications. So what do you think the role these certifications play? Is it really that much of a confidence builder in the public to use your services? Or does it also serve as a means of gatekeeping and keeping the community of mediators select and small and like acting as a barrier to entry per se? What do you think about this? Okay, well, I would say that the better your resume looks, the more chances are that you get selected as a mediator. So it's like, well, a standard market supply and demand, I guess. If somebody is a very qualified, they have a great resume, is super well prepared, top quality uh, education, obviously is going to have more chances to be selected as a mediator than somebody that doesn't have any, any good certifications or education. So it's just, and I'm pretty sure that applies to every profession. The more qualified you are, the more training and the more education, the more experience, the more certifications, accreditations, affiliations, everything, you will be more likely to get more work. Okay, thank you for that. And I think that brings us to the end today of our wonderful session. So just before we say our goodbyes, I'd like to do a quick wrap up and summary of what we've discussed today. And I'll do this in reverse order. So if anybody's missed out, this is when you start paying attention again. We concluded our discussion by talking about ADR certification programs and how they might at times seem a barrier to entry. Ms. Ambold, of course, believes, however, that it adds to your CV and the confidence people would have in approaching you. More than that, training sessions like these serve as learning opportunities that you should take full advantage of, something we can definitely say Ms. Ambold has done with over 800 hours of training. 
Beyond that, we also look at the new normal of online dispute resolution and tips and tricks for presenting yourself there. Ms. Sambold, of course, has hoards of advice, some of the most important things being, please don't forget to wear pants. Remember the interplay of light and sound. Don't have a cluttered background. Remember if you have curtains around and be wary of the angle of your camera. It's best if you're focused on your face directly. Beyond that, we talk about questions of diversity in the field of ADR. And of course, we know that Ms. Sambold runs a solo law firm. She notes that within, the Calif within California itself, diversity increases every year, and there are more and more women who sign up to become ADR professionals. This is fantastic news, and along with that, we are made aware of the existence of organizations like Arbitral Women that actively work towards creating more diversity and opportunities in the field. From there, we go on to questions of developing trust in a rapid. How do you engage with parties, what you share, and what you not share? The most important takeaway from this, of course, is the need for one to be genuine. We're not talking about truthfulness, but just to appear genuine and as a real person. Once you're genuine, you're able to make a connect, and fakeness is very easily identifiable. This is a learning that we also take with us to the field of networking, and Ms. Sambul wouldn't call it that at all. It's about loving your job, and if you really enjoy what you're doing, you're going to make the right connections. In terms of putting yourself out there for this, of course, there are questions of whether first impressions and dressing up matter. And Ms. Sambold and her coaching experience does have helpful advice for us along those lines as well. From there, we now look at some things that are perhaps unique to America. And I wouldn't say that it's certainly something new that we've learned, which is a blind mediator's proposal. A blind mediator's proposal is the mediator, as a complete surprise to both parties, presenting a certain solution to them which they may or may not accept. This often happens when parties are close to an agreement and have reasonable figures on each side. And should they choose to accept the blind proposal, they will find themselves in agreement. If not, the mediation process continues. This is something quite novel and a unique addition to our knowledge of mediation. Beyond that, we discuss what the Singapore Convention has done and how it's going to have major benefits to trade and commerce worldwide especially when it's looking at international commercial mediation. We do note, however, that the convention, despite being so new, was not prepared for a pandemic and does not speak about ODR or online dispute resolution in particular. Beyond that, we're very happy once again to have Ms. Sambold as our guest. And do listen to the first half of our podcast for how we met and have come to know each other across borders, making ADR a truly global field.